Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. This is the first episode of 2022. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with us. And for those of you who've been with us since basically the beginning, we're almost to our two-year mark of doing this, so hopefully you're still enjoying it. Um, I know we are, uh, but thanks for spending your Friday mornings with us. Uh, for those of you who are new here, we do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. We check out everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks on observing and imaging. And then, of course, the last Friday of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Um, if you were here last week, we had Nico Carver of Nebula Photos on. That was an awesome episode. A lot of you were here. Probably one of our best episodes to date. Um, but like every episode that we do, uh, these are generally live at the time of their recording. However, they are recorded, so you can always go back and watch any episode um, of the webcast. Just go back onto our YouTube channel and check out uh, what we've done in the past. There's a ton of stuff out there to take a look at. Now, it is the first Friday of the month, um, of the year at this point, but it is the first Friday of the month. That means we're checking out what's up in the nighttime sky, um, and it's wintertime. We've got all kinds of stuff. Well, it's wintertime for Northern Hemisphere. So all of this is pretty much focused on the Northern Hemisphere because that's where primarily most of us are. So if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I'm sorry. You guys get a bunch of cool things and we don't get to see them. So this is for the Northern Hemisphere. But good luck to you. Um, all right. Let me get my stuff going here. Now... Like I said before, if you've ever joined us before, welcome. Uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave a like on a video. Let's us know. Let's us know we're doing a good job. Um, if you have any ideas for future webcasts, uh, we are looking for ideas because it's a brand new year. Um, go ahead and email that to info at skywatcherusa.com and just title it "What's Up." We're always looking for something cool, and we appreciate your ideas. A lot of these episodes are planned weeks or months in advance, so if your idea doesn't pop up as an episode in like the next couple weeks, don't worry. Uh, it's probably being considered, but it does take time to get stuff into the queue and research some of the topics and make sure that we're ready to go and can speak on a level of authority when we're talking about whatever it is we're talking about. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with what's going on, you can always go to our website, hit the subscribe and save button up there, and then check your email um, in there, and then we'll you'll get an email telling you what's the webcast episode of the week uh, that's coming up. That's a great way to stay involved. Um, also, if you're looking for cool swag, we do have our uh, skywatcher.threadless.com store. You can get all kinds of shirts. They've added some new stuff. Um there's all kinds of cool things that our marketing uh, people have been working on. So thanks to Jeff and Jared for, you know, putting all this stuff together. Um, but there's all kinds of nifty things in there. So go ahead, check them out. We appreciate it. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much it. Go on and head up over to that. That's the uh, skywatcher.threadless.com store. So, all right, let's get started. So first things first, let's just get the brightest thing in the sky out of the way of that, of course, is the moon. Um, now, it's already the 7th of January at this point, so we're already about a week in. Um, new moon for this month was January 2nd, so that's obviously past. Uh, the dark sky weekend, first dark sky weekend, would have been the first and the second, so hopefully you got to go out and do some observing. I'm sure you probably froze your butt off because it's probably cold. But if you didn't get out to that weekend, there is the 29th and the 30th. There's very thin uh, moon um, that night um, rising very early in the morning. So um, you can get two very good nights right there. That's at the end of the month uh, on the 29th and the 30th. So there's your dark sky stuff. Hopefully you've got something planned or you've whatever hopefully you've got something planned maybe you've got a target or imaging project you're looking for um that's the time to do it with the moon being out of the sky now the full moon full moon is about mid-month uh we're looking at january 17th and that is gonna be the wolf moon so the wolf moon basically every full moon is gonna have a special name um 
depending on the folklore of the particular region, a lot of uh, the, at least here in North America, a lot of the full moons are generally named after uh, Native American uh, folklore and other stories. Um, the This is generally, or just what was going on around at the time, uh, generally the wolf moon is the most popular one used uh, for this, for the January full moon. That's generally uh, wolves were heard howling uh, due to hunger or hard time finding a meal during the long winter months. Um, but that's generally where that comes from and why that's called the wolf moon. Uh, no matter where you are, I'm sure if you go anywhere around the world, every full moon is going to have its own name depending on the uh, the local groups that were around that named those moons. So there's always cool different stories depending on what culture you go to um, on that. So full moons will vary depending on where you're at and what culture you're going from. Now, that's pretty much it for the moon. So... Good luck to you. The moon's your thing. It's a good time to get out and start observing, but that is pretty much uh, what we've got for the moon. Now, planets. Um, planets, uh, we're getting kind of to the end of the major planet season uh, for now, uh, at least from last year. Uh, for 2021, uh, we're kind of wrapping up the planets. You can still get out and observe some of them, uh, but we are losing a few of them, and we're about to head into a... a a drought for the planets um, until probably later in the year. So right now, a lot of the major planets are visible usually late summer into the, you know, winter time is when they're generally visible in the nighttime sky. Um, but for now, let's just dig into what we can actually see. The first one we actually gained, we lost a planet. We gained a planet. So Venus is pretty much done. Um, it's right near the sun right now. It's very, difficult to observe and if you are trying to observe it be exceedingly careful um because it's extremely close to the sun but it, there's been some cool images of getting this razor thin crescent of, of venus um so you might need to wait for it to move a little bit out of the sun's way and then morning or during the day um, know what you're doing with that but we did gain mercury mercury is visible in the western sky right now i'm gonna bring up uh, stellarium here real quick um, let's back this up a little bit. Mercury is going to be low um, in the west right there. There it is. Boop. Uh, so right there in the west, southwest, just after the sun sets, you can catch Mercury hanging out out there. Uh, Mercury doesn't hang around very long. Um, so a few weeks, it's normally visible, and that's about it. Then it kind of loops back down. Um, but that is a planet that you can actually get a hold of right now. Um, it's kind of a neat one to get. It does have phases similar to Venus because it is inside Earth's orbit. So maybe if you got a telescope for the holidays, you didn't know that. Venus and Mercury have phases just like the moon does. Um, it's a cool thing to go out and observe. Now, uh, Jupiter. Jupiter's still hanging out. It's still fairly high in the sky right now. Um, it's about, uh, what does this say, altitude, about 30 degrees just after sunset, kind of hanging out there in the west. It's going to be visible for, uh, you know, a couple hours after sunset, um, but it is going to get lower and lower, and probably by the end of the month and into February, uh, Jupiter is going to be pretty much at the end of the season uh, for observing that uh, right now. So uh, let me back this up till it's a little darker. There we go. Uh, so that's pretty much it for Jupiter. Jupiter is a fun planet to uh, view, especially if you're new to astronomy, uh, mainly because it's uh, rotational period or it's day is about 10 hours. So the Galilean moons, um, kind of some interesting stuff real close. The Galilean moons actually change all the time. You have uh, Euro Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Those are the four Galilean moons. Those are moving all the time. It's a cool thing to go out and maybe sketch every night. You can watch them and record their position. It's a fun project you can do with kids um, or just yourself. Uh, but that's kind of a cool thing to do. And then, of course, the banding and all that cool stuff on Jupiter and occasionally getting the red spot um, is also visible on most amateur telescopes. So Jupiter is still in a decent position to view but you are getting close to the end of the window there uh, for jupiter saturn of course is getting really low um, we're right at the end of the window for observing saturn 
So you want to get out and observe Saturn. Saturn's kind of trailing not far from Mercury right now. Um, so you're pretty much going to have to hop out there right at sunset to get a glimpse of Saturn because it's pretty much just done um, for the season. And then you're going to have to start getting up early in the morning in a few weeks when it pops itself up in the morning sky ahead of the sun. Uh, but you can still get a glimpse with, of that uh, planet it's it's low but you could still probably see the rings and stuff but it might look a little muddy because it's sitting so low in the atmosphere but you can still get a nice little view of the planet um while you still can in the next couple weeks is pretty much just going to be done uh for the season there now moving further out we have the planet uranus uh uranus is still hanging out up there let me see if i could find it uranus is way up here right after sunset uranus is very high in the sky it's actually in a very good position to go observe it right now um, because basically right after sunset it is it is nearly as high as it's going to get um, uranus is kind of a challenging one because it's so far away um, it is actually naked eye visible i have seen it um, but you need to be in very dark skies but it is the faintest it's the it is the uh, furthest planet away that you can see with your naked eye, um, if you know exactly where you're looking. And most telescopes, it's going to look like a little blue bubble, uh, but it does look like a planet amongst the star field in there. So it's very, I actually, it's one of my favorites to observe just because it's got a different color to it. And But if you're looking carefully with a large enough instrument, sometimes you might be able to glimpse some of its moons, but they are very challenging. If you have a camera, though, and you're into astrophotography, um, you can easily pick up some of the moons, especially with these modern cameras and very short exposures. You can get a glimpse of the moons there. You can maybe even do a time lapse of the moons orbiting around uh, Uranus. So that would be a cool uh, project to do. You're only talking like a second of an exposure at that point. Probably something like a thousand millimeter scope would uh, do that well, but um, definitely a fun little project. But Uranus is still hanging out. Um, high in the sky that's pretty much something that's doable in almost any size of telescope but it is going to be a little bit more of a challenge compared to you know jupiter and saturn which are really easily visible uh uranus is is a lot smaller because it's a lot farther away um it does take some magnification to kind of pop it out but don't be expecting to find any detail on it it's just going to be a little blue ball um, in the field of view there but that is the planet uranus and then, of course, the final planet, and, oops, let me get this out of the way. Final planet is Neptune. Neptune, I believe, is still hanging out there. Let me go ahead and find that real, where's my search thing? That's not my search thing. Neptune, this one doesn't come up as fast. Neptune, I knew it was trailing after Jupiter, but Neptune is still up. Um, it is actually not far from the moon this evening. Um, between Jupiter and the moon, a little closer to the moon, actually. But Neptune is also visible, and you can see its brightest moon, Triton, if you know exactly what you're doing, and you have a large enough telescope. I'd probably say something like a 10-inch or bigger. Um, very high magnification and a good star chart or, you know, sky safari on your phone or something like that. Something that shows you an accurate position of where Triton actually is. Neptune is a bit more challenging than uranus because it is even further away it's smaller it's going to require some decent magnification it should be something that's relatively easy in like a six and eight inch telescope or bigger um, but you want to be careful with it because it's the size is going to be somewhat similar to stars in the field um, so you can easily pass over it but it does have a distinctive blue color in comparison to the star field and with high enough magnification, you will see that spherical planetary look to it where it's not stellar like a star is going to be. It's going to be actual, you know, it looks like a planet. But it's so far away that that spherical look will take more magnification to pull out in comparison to like Uranus, which is more obvious and lower power. So that's the planet Neptune, which kind of wraps up all the major planets that are up right now. Uh, good luck, happy hunting to that. Um, and then of course the moon, go ahead and glimpse that still in a really nice phase to get some cool pictures out of it too, with the Terminator coming across the, there and giving you that crescent, but that's the positioning of all the, the major planets there. So 
good luck in you know getting out and trying that so i'm gonna make uh, we'll use this later i don't need it right now so the sun uh the sun is kicking up right now um i'm gonna try to mention this on every what's up webcast moving forward because i should have been doing it before before you ever observe the sun please make sure you are using the correct type of filter and that every ounce of safety is going into it because the sun will damage uh, or cause eye damage if you are not doing this correctly we have a couple episodes from about a year ago where we talk about how to observe the sun safely and there's plenty of amazing information online on how to do this correctly but if you're new to this uh, type of observing maybe you just got an instrument or a telescope for uh, the holidays um, please 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 make sure you know what you're doing and have done extensive research before getting into solar observing so you're doing it safely so uh, please do that ahead of time now the sun the sun is always changing um, it's not even worth me putting an image on here mainly because I'm gonna show you what to go do anyway but it's a fantastic object to image um, I have friends of ours that go out and image that's their thing they only are into the sun um, but it's extremely dynamic it's changing all the time so it's kind of a fun object to um, observe especially now because we are getting back up into solar maximum and it's not just, just this boring red ball or whatever um, I like to use this gong um, H alpha uh, page right there if you type in gong g-o-n-g h alpha into uh, Google it'll take you to the page um, these are professional telescopes all over the world that are observing the sun in hydrogen alpha. Now, if you go to spaceweather.com, you can get... I'll just show you here real quick. Spaceweather.com. Go to spaceweather.com. Spaceweather's got a white light uh, view of it. There's some very nice sunspot chains right now in active regions. Um, but if you're just getting into observing the sun, odds are you probably have a white light filter, so you're going to be observing sunspots. Um, so we have uh, group 2924 and 2925 uh, visible up there. There's a little thing going on here and here, uh, but doesn't look like those have been officially named yet. And there's other stuff going on up here. This would be your typical view in like an average white light filter, which is the most affordable way to get started. Again, if you want to know more about that, you can go on to our previous webcast and check out Observing the Sun and stuff like that. Uh, towards the end of this year, probably around October, we're probably going to be doing an episode of, again on the sun because a year from October is the annular 2023 eclipse that's going to go through the southwest um like four corner region, but most of the U S and Canada and North America is going to get some level of a, a partial eclipse. We're going to do basically a, another webcast about getting ready for that and what equipment to look at to give you a year window to get that figured out because it's good to think ahead. And of course, right after that in April of 2024 is the total eclipse that goes to the uh, United States. Um, so we have two big eclipses coming up. So if you're thinking about observing it or getting into the solar observing uh, setup, now is the time to think about that um, seriously, especially with equipment being very difficult to get right now. But we're going to do a whole episode on things to think about um, at the, about the year mark. That'll probably be this fall. But anyway... But this is a white light view, very basic uh, view of the sun. And then, of course, if you've got the H-alpha filters, you know, Coronado, Daystar, Lunt, uh, Solar System, uh, there's a bunch of different ones out there. If you've got H-alpha stuff, this is what's going on right now. There's lots of activity in this active region down here. Uh, so something to take a look at. Uh, could see some major flares come from that. And then, of course, there's some very nice prominences going up right now. Uh, so that is... The sun in hydrogen alpha, there's a couple different views of it, but there's some cool stuff going on, especially here, some filaments in there as well. So there's something, there's some stuff uh, going on on the sun, but that is always changing. There's always different things going on in the sun. So it's definitely worth, it's a fun part of the hobby to get into. Um, it's also a lot more convenient as far as time. 
So anyway, that's the sun. That's what's going on. Go on, check it out. Uh, just make sure you are putting all the safety measures in place and really understand what you're doing when it comes to observing the sun because it's, uh, it's no joke. Meteor showers. Um, there's not a lot in meteor showers going on um, in January. There is one that's currently active. We've already passed the peak, but that's the quadrinids. Um, basically, it's December 26th through the 16th. Uh, the peak was this past weekend on the 2nd and 3rd. It's about 25 per hour, so it's not crazy. But if you're going out to some dark skies, even this weekend is still a good weekend to get out and do some dark sky observing, especially later in the evening because the moon's going to be out of the sky before midnight. So most of these meteor showers are going to be visible after midnight anyway. So this you'll probably catch some of the, the stragglers of this one. Um, if you're going out to some dark skies this weekend, it's still a good weekend to go out and do some observing. Hey, you might even catch it in some of your images if you're doing imaging, but that is that is something to check out as well. But that is the quadrinids uh, basically wrapping up, and that's the only major one going on this month. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of it for that. Comets. Well, we had a major comet with Comet Leonard this past month um and uh it's actually putting on it has been putting on quite a show with its tail um down in the southern hemisphere it's i still have friends who've been able to get pictures of it here in uh the northern part of the world um northern hemisphere but it is exceptionally low to the horizon i don't even know if it's still doable at this point um i didn't really look into it too much because it's it's practically done um, but it, it put on a really nice show there and the tail was over 30 degrees across the sky. Very impressive. So Southern hemisphere, people got a good, uh, view of that. Uh, but we do have other comets that are up in the nighttime sky and the website I like to use is called cometchasing.skyhound.com. And it has a big list of all the major comets that are visible right now. And there's plenty of them that are actually still obtainable. They might not be as bright as Leonard is, but there are other ones up in the sky right now that you can check out. Um, yeah, you can see right here, uh, Leonard for most of us here in pretty much any anything north of the equator, Leonard is gone. So that is out of the equation. Um, but we have 16P Borelli um, is visible right now. I actually have something to show you guys on that one. And then we still have Comet C 2019 L3 Atlas. That is still uh, plenty visible here in the Northern Hemisphere, um, as well as several other comets that are still visible. A lot of these are telescopic. Actually, all these are telescopic. Um, we're looking at 9.5 magnitude as the brightest. So you're talking about a small telescope at that point. Uh, to be able to see any of these. All of these are 9.5, 9.4, 9.8 magnitude. That's, you need a telescope. So none of these are naked eye visible. But um, yeah, so right now, there's not a lot going on, but I was able to catch uh, this time lapse last night of Comet Borelli. This is a 19P Borelli. Let me go to full screen here. I was going to try to do an actual image of it. Let me see. If I can get this to play. There we go. It's going to do a stacked image of it. I wasn't really happy with the way it came out. So I just stitched it all together and did a time lapse. You can see all the satellites that are going through the field there. Uh, the movement that you see here is actually over only 40 minutes. So this thing is moving really quickly um, in the field. And we're looking at about 9.5 magnitude. So it is visible in smaller telescopes. If you have something like a 6 or 8 inch, it should be pretty doable. But uh, it is flying through the field there. Um, so trying to get a nice sharp image of this might be challenging. You're going to have to stack on the comet um, because of how quick it actually is moving. Um, you can see just over a little over a half hour time how much that actually moves through the star field there. Um, but yeah, that is Comet 19P uh, Borelli. Um, I think that's in Cetus currently. Anyway, look it up with your star charts there um, and your apps. Um, you can go out and check that out. But uh, it does have a nice tail on it, very thin, delicate tail. So I'm sure we'll see some really cool pictures of it. But that's kind of the hot comet now that uh, Leonard 
is no longer visible to us here in the northern hemisphere if you're looking for another object or another comet to go after this would be the comet to go image um, right now not very difficult easy for any major telescope especially with a camera to grab it this is with our uh, skywatcher spree 150 and a zwo 6200 just a luminance filter they're two minute exposures been two by two but it that's even more than you would need but go out play with it good luck with it um and hopefully you get some nice images of it uh, but that is comet borelli uh 19p borelli it is in most of the apps um i just used uh sky safari make sure you just update the position of everything but it pops right up no no big deal so it's an easy one to go out and catch now let's talk about deep sky there's a bunch of stuff up this time of year when it comes to deep sky targets and we could do an hour-long episode on all the crazy things that are visible this time of year and we all know the benchmark pieces the staples that we all have to you know go and hit um, we're going to cover some of those a lot of these are probably obvious uh, reviews but you know I threw a couple in there that hopefully will give some people some ideas, especially if you're new to astrophotography and you want to go after something a little bit, you know, off the beaten path. Uh, but first off, let me get my app up here real quick because I want to double check this one um, before we dive into it. And this will be a fun one for more recent uh, things. Perfect. All right, let's just jump right into it. I'm going to go full screen here because I want to you want to see all the detail here. James Webb Space Telescope. Now, I think all of us have been watching this recently as it's almost been perfect step by step of the way um, from launch to actually, you know, getting to the point where the secondary is now deployed. I think we're getting pretty close to where they're going to start opening up the two wings of the primary mirror and then i think that actually happens today and then over the next 10 days up until about the 26th of january is basically getting everything configured collimating all 18 elements of the uh, primary mirror to get it to be that nice complete f20 uh, telescope that it is going to be but a lot of people were saying okay we saw james webb that's the end of it not true if you have a telescope, and really it is not that difficult to do, you just have to know exactly where it's going to be. And thanks to all this technology, most of it, which you probably have in your freaking pocket, um, you can find it and you can take a picture of it because it's in Monoceros um, right now. And it's, it's moving, but it's not moving that fast. Um, so you can actually take an image of it. It's about magnitude 15, which puts it basically at the extreme reach visually of most amateur telescopes, unless you've got something like a 30-inch telescope um, and you know exactly what you're doing. But for an imaging system, magnitude 15 from a backyard is probably not that hard. Um, and especially when you have equipment and software that allows you to blink and animate and do all kinds of things. I've done a lot of this stuff with PixInsight, makes it really easy. Um, you just have to pay really close attention because it is rather small, um, to what's moving in the field, but it is doable. Uh, the image you see right here, this was taken with our six inch telescope. It's just a six inch refractor. It's nothing i mean it's a very nice refractor but it's not really anything exotic um my guess is you could probably do this in a four inch telescope it's really just about knowing where it's gonna be um and yeah so what i recommend doing is if you have something like sky safari go into sky safari update all the minor planet um information make sure everything is as up to date as possible and then go into the search and type in JWST. And it should bring it up and hit center. And that'll show you where it's going to be at whatever time you're looking at. And if you go into the, the information about the object, this is true with any object in, in this. But if you go into the information, it's going to give you the right ascension and declination of where that's currently positioned. You can then pop that into your telescope's control system. 
and it will basically center on those coordinates and somewhere within that frame you should be able to find the James Webb telescope. Um, I would actually recommend taking some longer pictures, probably over the course of like 10 minutes to half an hour. Um, I was doing two minute, or maybe these were, these were five minute exposures, uh, bin two by two uh, to get this and then just stacked them. And I did it where there was no rejection because a lot of software is going to think this is, is some weird thing and it's going to reject it like a satellite. It is a satellite, but we don't want it to reject this satellite. So process it without any kind of rejection. Or if you can stack everything up and put it into like Pixin sites like Blink uh, script, you can then blink through it and you can actually find out what's moving in there. Um, and that's basically how you do it. It's not... It's not difficult, but it's a great way to uh, impress your friends. So here's just a, a little animation of it flying through the field. These are five-minute exposures as well. Um, that's why it's blurring in the field. It's a pretty heavy crop um, on it. But this is completely doable in amateur telescopes. Um, it's just something cool. Take some pictures, impress your friends, and post it up there and show people um, that the James Webb Space Telescope is still up there. Um, I've done it a couple nights in a row and just as long as you put that, as long as you're aligned well and you're putting the right ascension and deck in there, you can get it and just take some pictures, stack them up and look for the streak. Um, but that's the James Webb space telescope. So good luck to that. Um, you don't even have to track on it. Just track the star field, treat it like a normal object. You're just looking for, instead of reducing blur, you're looking for the object that's blurring. So but it's kind of a cool thing to share with your friends that it's floating out there and it's just kind of neat. So good luck um, and best of luck to you guys on that. That is the James Webb Space Telescope and how to go about tracking that down. I think even when it gets to orbit, my understanding is it's still going to be about magnitude 16. So it would. this is something that most systems should be able to do even once it's in its position. So... It might be an easy object to actually find um, in the future. Now, let's just get into the basic deep sky stuff. Uh, first off is NGC 2169, the 37 cluster. Um, this is one of my favorite off-the-beaten-path clusters. It's often forgotten. It is in the constellation of Orion the Hunter. Um, it's up in the arm part of the constellation. Let me actually... Uh, right in here Boop. that's where it's at uh, right up there in the uh, upper arm of the constellation there um, it's fairly easy to find but because you've got you know m42 and m78 and the rosette and the cone and barnard's loop and the horse head you've got a ton of stuff that is very popular in this region of the sky. So this is really overlooked a lot of times, but it's very easy to see um, in small telescopes, like a four inch telescope. But what's kind of neat about this is if you have like a Newtonian or a Dobsonian, because those have a mirror image, it actually flips the 37 into the right configuration. So it actually looks correct um, visually. Um, this is fairly easy to see in small telescopes from town. No filters needed. You just got to know where to point it. Um, NGC 2169 if you've got a go-to mount. Um, imaging, it's an open cluster. It is about as easy as it can get. Um, color imaging would be fine. No narrow band. Just take a picture of it. It's very simple. Um, open clusters are extremely forgiving because you don't have to worry about any, you know, faint things to process out so give that a try it's a fun one especially if you're doing an outreach event the 37 cluster is you know a very very nice little cluster to see and everyone thinks it's kind of cool that you can see the number 37 you know in the stars but about 3600 light years away easy grab in a telescope visually um, and kind of a fun one to just check out uh, here's a little bit bigger image of that there's the three there's the seven um, I don't remember what I shot this with, but it was a while ago when I was getting started in imaging. So I'll have to revisit this because it is, uh, it's, it's okay. So, uh, next one, this one is a 
one that I need to revisit, but the reason I haven't done it is because it's big and it's very difficult um, to catch. Uh, this is Sharpless 240 or Cymesis 147, aka the Spaghetti Nebula, massive supernova remnant in the horns of Taurus, uh, basically right next door to M1 um, in the constellation of Taurus the Bull. Uh, let me see if I can bring this up. Cymesis. There it is. There we go. That is Cymesis 147. You can kind of see it in there. Um, this is a very, very faint nebula. Um, very delicate swirls um, of hydrogen compose uh, this supernova remnant. About 4,500 light years away. This is very difficult to see. You're going to need dark skies and probably a very large aperture telescope. I would probably use a UHC or an O3 filter. And you're basically focusing on the fine, brightest regions of the nebula. Um, for imaging, you can actually do it in town. It's a very nice narrow band target. But it spans over 3 degrees of the nighttime sky. It's nearly, it's about the size of the Veil Nebula. Um, so it's big. You're going to need really wide field optics, um, to get it, especially if you want to get the whole thing in one view. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's a fun challenge target. It's yeah, try it out. It's, it's definitely a cool off the beaten path one. It's very impressive. Um, more people are starting to image it now, especially because you have a lot of these really nice modern high QE cameras. Um, they're very sensitive, but this has tons of detail. You can just barely see it. This was taken a couple years ago. I'm going to have to revisit it as well um, and see what I can pull out on it. Um, but it is a challenge because of A, how wide it is, and B, it's going to take some serious exposure time to get something out of it. And it's very fine um, in detail. There's all kinds of very nice details um, on it. So uh, there was a question. I'll get to it in a minute. We're almost... Uh, through this here uh, next one is the Eskimo Nebula this is a favorite one this time of year it's in Gemini it's a nice little planetary nebula about 5,000 light years away easy to see in in town you know six inch telescope it looks like a double star um, except you have one star there and then a kind of a poofy out of focus star right next to it but it looks like a double star that is in the constellation of Gemini it's a fun one to show uh, people. It's right down here. I could just type it in and this would make my life a lot easier. But it's it's right about in here. Um, where's my search bar? Eskimo. Oh, a little bit off. There it is. That's the Eskimo right there. Uh, pretty easy one to find it's in all the major go-to catalogs but if you don't know ngc 2392 is the catalog number um you can also just find it under named objects for most places eskimo nebula um it's a cool little object in a six inch telescope bigger telescopes you can actually start to observe the inner uh inner portion and then the outer outer portion of the nebula you can actually see that visually um imaging it's a bit of a challenge not because it's difficult as far as being able to get it it's because it's so small and it's it's actually fairly bright so the thing about this let me get this up here real quick here's a picture from our six inch refractor this is the full frame field of view of the telescope you can see it's really tiny um so you're gonna have to either use longer focal length or really blow it up. Here's a blown up shot where I kind of edit it down. But um, this is really good for like, you're probably gonna need like a 2000 millimeter focal length scope to really get in there. Um, sometimes lucky imaging where you stack a bunch of really short exposures can be more helpful than, with something like this. But because of how dense and bright it is, it's very easy to overexpose it, especially when you're trying to get detail in the center there. Um, planetaries can be very easy to blow out um, very quickly. So you kind of have to approach it in a slightly different way um, than, you know, most of these other really faint objects. But that's the Eskimo Nebula. Really fun one this time of year to see visually um, and all this other, you know, fun stuff uh, out for it. So uh, next up, 
I've done this one for several months in a row. It's the Pleiades. You kind of have to. The Pleiades is a great object right now, 500 light years away. It's super easy to see in town. It's it's naked eye. Um, but if you just got a telescope or some binoculars for the holidays, this is a perfect object to go out in your backyard and observe. Um, it's great in nearly any size optic. Um, it's a fantastic thing to image. Um, it looks good in nearly any focal length. Um, here is one at 550 millimeter focal length, and here is uh, 1050. Um, these, that's a full frame camera at 1050. Actually, this is full frame as well. Um, but there's tons of detail and dust and all kinds of crazy stuff around the Pleiades. Um, it, it just looks great overall. Um, very nice, very fine detail in there. That's stuff that you can actually do somewhat in town. Um, it can be a little difficult with light pollution, especially getting these very faint, delicate things. But if you're going to a dark sky site, maybe only have like a night to shoot. The Pleiades is a really good target to go after because it's easy to find. Um, it's in the constellation of Taurus. I'll just bring this up. Most of you should be able to just run over it with, you know, from a dark sky site. It's kind of obvious. It looks like a little dipper hanging up nice and high. It's It still has not completed, um, hit the meridian um, quite yet. So you can still get a fair amount of time imaging this. We're still very, uh, somewhat early in the Pleiades season, but now's the best time to really start going on the Pleiades because you can get several hours of exposure time and actually complete a nice image of that, especially with a one-shot color camera uh, by the time it sets. Um, next up, obviously, you know, it's the biggest thing right now. Everyone has to shoot it. It's kind of like seeing your old friend you haven't seen in like a year. Um, it's M42, the Orion Nebula, and the Running Man. The Running Man is right here. Don't forget that. It's normally in the frame. 1600 light years away. It's, what do you, what do you say about this nebula? It's, it's big, it's bright, it's easy. You can get it from home in light polluted skies with small, you can see it in binoculars. A small telescope, like a six inch, 150 millimeter aperture, easy. You can get some really nice nebulosity from in town. Um, it's a great object to try filters on, you know, UHC, ultra high contrast, um, O3 filters. It's a cool one to get to know what filters will do what on this object. Um, but visually, it's just a, it is, it is kind of the crown jewel of the winter skies. Um, imaging wise, it's exactly the same thing. If you're just getting started in imaging, you just have to do it. Um, it's a good one to practice on because it is so easy and bright and very forgiving. Um, it is a bit of a challenge, however, um, if you're trying to get down into the core, because, because it is so bright, you blow out the core really easily. So while this is a very easy nebula to shoot, it is challenging in different ways as far as processing goes if you want to get it to look real even across the entire image. Um, but there's all kinds of detail in it. It looks great in color images, visual light, and narrow band. Uh, just play around with combinations. It's another fun one to practice on. And visually, it's just a walk in the park uh, to do. So, and just gets more and more impressive in bigger aperture and darker skies. So that's M42. It's kind of the staple of this. It's, you know, there's not much you can say about it. Just it's, it is what it is. Uh, next one is the horse head in the flame. Another big staple this time of year. You all know where this one is. It's right at the, you know, bottom portion of the belt right next to Almatac. Um, there it is, the horse head in the flame. Another very popular one this time of year. It's a little bit more challenging than uh, M42 is uh, imaging-wise. It's not that much more difficult. Um, if you have a H-alpha filter, it just pops right out. Visually, however, it's the complete opposite part of the spectrum um, as far as challenge goes. It's very difficult visually. Um, you need to be in dark skies, probably at least a 10 or 12 inch telescope. H beta filters make that easier or a UHC, but it is quite a challenge. The flame nebula down here is easy, but the faint IC 434, which is this part right here, and then the horse head are really the challenge, but it is doable, but it's a challenge. So good luck with that one. Um, but it is, it's an easy one you can do from town with a narrow band filter. It takes like no time at all.
This one is something that we talked about last month, and I thought I'd throw it in. This is Sharpless 276, or the Barnard Loop. Uh, the Barnard Loop pretty much encompasses almost the entire constellation of Orion. It's 1,400 light years away. It is huge. So it's not something that you just go out and you take a picture of, unless you've got a big lens, like 50 millimeter or 85 millimeter lens. Like it doesn't need long focal length. Um, visually, it's something that you kind of have to pan through. Um, you can't get it in the field of view um, for the most part. Um, an H beta filter is very helpful or a UHC because it's composed primarily of hydrogen. Um, but you just, because of how large this thing is, uh, let me just go to the big frame here. Uh, because of how large this frame actually is, um, you literally just have to follow it around. Uh, this is a 16200 Starlight camera, SX46 camera with a Canon 202.8 lens and an H alpha filter. This is multiple panels all stitched together. Um, there's the horse head, there's Orion, there's the Barnard loop and a bunch of other uh, objects. This is basically the whole constellation of Orion and hydrogen. Um, but that's the loop right there. Um, yeah, it's it's not so much of a challenge to get, but it's a challenge because of how large it actually is. Um, if you're imaging M78, which is actually right, I got this label too, M78's right here, a lot of times you start to get this pink uh, display in part of one of the corners of your frame. That's the brighter region of the Barnard loop starting to show through. That's pretty common in M78 images. Uh, but go out, give it a shot. It's, it is, uh, it's a cool thing to see, but it is a big chunk of sky to get. So you probably have to mosaic it or use a really wide field lens to catch all of it. I see 20... Whoa, this was wrong. Sorry. So that's the Rosette Nebula. Sorry, NGC 2244. Actually, NGC 2244 is actually the star cluster inside the Rosette Nebula. I think it's 2246 is the nebula itself. Uh, this is in Monoceros, 5,200 light years away. Um, you do need darker skies. It's very big, uh, but UHC or O3 filters are a good combo to grab that. Um, from town, it's, it is easy. It's an H2 region, so it's star forming, lots of hydrogen in there. So narrow band imaging, like hydrogen alpha or these uh, multi-band filters make this very easy to do from in town. Uh, if you want to do a color image, there's a lot of faint nebulosity. There's actually a big tail portion of this that kind of heads off to the cone nebula. They're almost attached. Um, you probably need some darker skies to get the wispy portions of it, but that is a cool one to check out. Again, this is the Rosette Nebula. Ignore the title here. Actually, we'll just make that disappear. There's the Rosette Nebula. This is an HARGB image, so color image with a H-alpha luminance channel applied on top of it. It's an interesting look to things, but, you know, there it is. Uh, that's the Rosette. Awesome, awesome uh, nebula to go check out. Uh, lots of dynamic detail inside of it too. Um, does good in bicolor. Does good in one-shot color. Looks good in um, uh, Hubble palettes. Uh, you can get all kinds of exotic with, with this nebula. It's very active in a lot of different wavelengths. So give it a shot. Try it out. Uh, Sharpless 308, the dolphin. I hate that name. It does look like a dolphin. I just think it's stupid. But anyway, uh, this is Sharpless 308 or SH2-308. Uh, this isn't Canis Majoris. It's pretty low. Um, doesn't have a large window of time to actually image it. Uh, let me bring this up real quick. SH2-308. Would help if I could spell all that right. Do, 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 do. There we go. It'd help if I had this up a little bit later. Boop, boop, boop. Here it comes. There we go. So it's in Canis Major, um, not far from Sirius. Uh, this is, uh, again, Sharpless 308, uh, 4,500 light years away. This is a Wolf Riot star. If you want to know more, just Google that. Um, it's a very large nebula, very, very heavy in oxygen-3. This is uh, basically seven hours of oxygen-3. 
uh, three nanometer bandpass filter, oxygen three right there. Um, I will have a bicolor image once it's done. Got to go back and do hydrogen on it. This one's a bit of a challenge uh, because of how low it sits. It doesn't get very high here in the northern hemisphere. The window to image it is only a couple hours per night. Um, does very, very good in narrow band. Um, the, in everything you see here, that's all oxygen three. So probably want to do this when there's not a lot of moon in the sky. Um, I only get about a four hour window to hit this thing um, right now. So it's not, it's probably a multi-night uh, project if you have the capability or you just got to pound away at it. But very, very cool object uh, to see. Lots of very faint, intricate detail in there. But uh, very cool object that kind of gets overlooked way down in there in the southern part of the sky. But uh, that is Sharpless 308. I haven't tried to do this one visually. My guess is probably something around a 14-inch telescope with an Oxygen 3 filter. You probably see some of the brighter detail in it. Um, but yeah, larger aperture. O3 filters uh, definitely uh, required for this because of how heavy it is in Oxygen 3. Uh, but go ahead, give it a go. Um, and then imaging-wise, this is a 1,000-millimeter full-frame shot right here. But wider field optics, there's all kinds of dust and gas in this region of the sky. So there's some cool detail you can get even beyond this. Um, but it's a very, very cool object, so I highly recommend it. Um, I know we've got some questions. That's pretty much the last object I've got. Uh, so if you like what you see, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, if you have any ideas for an idea for the uh, future episodes, go ahead and email us at info at skywatcherusa.com. Please leave a like if you like what you see uh, here so we know that we're doing a uh, good job and keeping this going. Next week, we are doing a What's Up webcast on the AZEQ6 mount. We're going to dive into details on that. So definitely come hang out with us. Uh, next Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. That's what we'll be going over next week. Now, it was supposed to be tonight, but because the weather sucks where the telescope is, uh, tomorrow night is another uh, Starstream episode. That is my outreach program, Focus Astronomy's Virtual Star Party. Um, a lot of the objects that we actually talked about today, we're actually going to go live imaging, doing some live stack imaging uh, tomorrow night, that's on the Focus Astronomy YouTube channel. We're going to have Trevor from Astro Backyard. Trevor Jones from Astro Backyard is going to hang out with us, and we're going to go observe some weird, oddball stuff. And, yeah, we'll check that out. That starts at 7 p.m. Pacific tomorrow night on Saturday, um, and that is the Focus Astronomy YouTube channel uh, for that. So we'll see you there. Um, well, let's jump into some questions right now. Uh, let's see. Uh, first question, greetings from Kuwait, deployed here. Thanks for your service. Uh, quick question, what kind of solar filters do you recommend to use with a matte Cassegrain? Uh, white light, front-mounted white light filter. Either glass or film would be fine. Um, Thousand Oaks Optical, AstroZap, uh, Spectrum filters. Uh, there's a bunch of them out there. They're very similar to one another. Um, you just need to get one that goes over the complete front of the telescope. Um, but I would definitely reach out to them and they'll be able to help you find uh, the proper filter to fit over the the Mac that you have. Uh, new mount from Skywatcher soon. I have a lot of new stuff we're supposed to tell you about in a few weeks. You're just going to have to wait. That's about all I'm going to tell you. Maybe a little bit longer than a few weeks. We have a lot of new stuff coming out this year, but that's about all I can tell you about. And yeah, so wait. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, James Webb Telescope. If you just want to keep track of what's going on, uh, where's James Webb? Um, uh, NASA has this really cool website. If you want to see where James Webb is and what it's doing, um, it's right here. Just Google where's James Webb and it takes you to the website here. It tells you where it's at. They are deploying the primary mirror today. Uh, the port side wing of the primary is being deployed today. Hopefully that goes well. Um, but everything you ever want to know about what's going on with James Webb is on this website. They've done a very, very nice job putting it all together. So go ahead, check that out. It's up to date constantly. So uh, 
yeah, just keep an eye out for that. But that's where you can go to find out anything you want to know about the James Webb Telescope. Again, just Google where's James Webb and it'll take you right there. Um, but that's it right there. So um, hopefully all goes well with the primary mirror today. Let's see. Do we know why the Flame Nebula is so yellow-orange-ish? As far as I know, it's almost only Nebula and the color scheme. Um, so my guess on this is the Flame Nebula has a lot of hydrogen in it, but it has a lot of other dust inside of it too. So it's not going to be that really deep H-alpha hydrogen red that we're used to seeing. There's a lot of other factors involved with that too. So... That's probably why it's not super red, like, say, the horse head nearby. It's got a little different makeup than just hydrogen. Um, there's probably a lot of dust involved in that nebula as well. Um, so definitely, that's probably my guess on that. You have to take a little bit more detail into that. SinScan video. Yes, that someone did bring that up a while ago that we need to do a video on SinScan. Yeah, that's a good idea. We're, we'll put that. That's a really good idea. We'll put that on the list. Um, I think some of that's on the list for going over like the app, um, but we that's a great idea. So thank you for that. Uh, earlier, Kevin spoke about difficulties of getting equipment. What's the wait time on a FlexTube 200 SinScan? Please email our support at skywatcherusa.com. Or check with your dealer. Um, that's a big conversation right there. And it's complicated. So we have stuff coming in all the time. But yeah, you want to check with your dealer. Because some of the dealers have had stuff on order. And you might be able to get something a little bit sooner. But yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than me being able to rattle off in like a minute. So if you want more details on lead times, please check with your dealers. Um and ask them when their next incoming shipment is going to be. Um, and they'll be able to help you out. Some have had stuff come in um, where they fulfilled all their back orders for that item. So you might luck out and find something, but you have to check around. It's it's going to be weird for a while when it comes to equipment, guys. So um, this whole year is going to be just as screwy, if not worse, than last year. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. It's just a a collection of many different things right now. I just got my AZGTI. How um, how long an exposure can I get with my 7D Mark II and 405.6? I'm going to have to lay this on very gently. First off, AZGTIs are not intended to be used for imaging. There's a lot of people who are doing that. We have a whole video on the AZGTI uh, from a couple weeks ago, but up front, I'm telling you, it's not designed for imaging. However, it can be done on your own accord. Um, in Altasmo, the way it's intended, 400 millimeters, you're not going to get much, uh, very, very short exposures. On an equatorial mount, 400, you know, you can get couple minutes probably out of something of that focal length but that also involves your guiding and the polar alignment is tight and balance is good um but yeah you know, the azgti is not intended for astrophotography purposes and i know people will argue with me until the end of time on that but that's the reality of it sorry um yeah, but you can go back, check out the details on the WhatsApp webcast about the AZGTI if you want to know more of the ins and outs of that. Um, if you want to know about imaging with it, there is plenty of stuff online um, about it, but it's not something that we support directly. Sorry. Okay. I think that is all the questions. I don't see any more floating around there. Um, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. I hope you have a safe and a very good weekend get out and do some imaging if you're not going to freeze and get frostbite and all that fun stuff um if you want to hang out with me and trevor tomorrow night i look forward to seeing you that takes place 7 p.m pacific at the focus astronomy youtube channel we'll be uh happy to hang out with you there hanging out with trevor seeing what's up in the sky and that'll be pretty awesome as well so thank you very much we'll see you next friday have a great weekend and take care, everyone. Stay safe.